This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I'll be reading from the New International Version today. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The word of our Lord. Loving God. It was about 10 years ago that um, I was journaling, and I was probably in a place where my my heart wasn't um, always feeling the right things towards God. And I decided to do something about it. And I started to write down the things, as I read the New Testament, the things that I love about Jesus. And I would, I would really recommend that if you kind of feel stuck, maybe in your uh, life with God, to, to consider that. I want, I want to share with you just a few of the things that I, I wrote down. And uh, the first one, and I want you to hear these. Some of them are, they're not like the big things. Like, you know, he, he writes somebody from the dead or whatever. Of course, that's, you know, a big favor. He feeds the 5,000. I was looking more at the characteristic and, and qualities of his life uh, from within and and here's one that he always knows where he is going, I noticed, but he was never in a hurry to get there. Now, do you know anybody in this part of the world that you would say that about? They always know where they're going, but they're never in a hurry to get there. Um, check it out as you uh, look at Jesus. Uh, here's one that probably says more about me than Jesus, but I'll read it anyway. He has a kind of Hollywood leading man quality in that... <laughs> Uh, uh, he never loses his cool. And if you know what I mean by that, I mean, you think of, of people like uh, Henry, uh, Humphrey Bogart. I go, I'm going way back here. Larry will know this one, Humphrey Bogart, yeah. But, uh, and uh, Clint Eastwood. And uh, so, you know, uh, here's looking at you, uh, kid, right? That was Humphrey Bogart from Casablanca. Some of you know that. And um, Clint Eastwood, uh, Dirty Harry. Go ahead. Go ahead, make my day. <laughs> and this one, um, yeah, what's his, what's his name anyway? I'll be back. <laughs> Jesus actually did say that one, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and here's another one. He, he doesn't struggle with anxieties or insecurities. Huh. Yeah, think about that. How many people do you know that can say that? He has amazing emotional intelligence in all the tight spots. And the last one uh, that I've always found so fascinating is that he can say amazing, over the, amazing things about himself, but never sound like he's bragging. I mean, who gets away with that? I, I don't know, something about Jesus, and I, I always, when I think about it, I I just want to say, don't you just love him? Don't you just love him? Isn't there something that happens inside of you as you hear that about him? Well, he is, according to the book of Hebrews, he's the visible image 
of the invisible God. So we can't see God, but we can see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. And then, hopefully, there's something inside of us that is attracted to him, and we want to become more like him, and then that's the work of God the Holy Spirit in us, changing us to become more like him. That's kind of how it works. That's what a disciple is, and that's where we're headed here for the next three weeks. Just kind of go back to discipleship basics. And the first one we're going to look at is uh, loving God passionately, and then uh, loving others deeply and then the third one is blessing the world radically. Those are just, that's our ways of, of talking about the Great Commission. Jesus says to love God and to love people. And the Great Commission, Great Commandment and the Great Commission, which is to take the good news all over the place. How's that? So this is uh, a graphic that captures those three thoughts. Following Jesus is about those three things. And today we're focusing in on loving God passionately. And passionately, we will, we will define that as we go here. And so, uh, I want to give you this is our uh, it's, it's a good outline for any uh, kind of any Bible sort of study or text. Uh, what does the text say? So, what is the, what does this little uh, piece of, of uh, scripture say to us, or what does it say in the time it was written? And then, what does it mean to love God? That's what we want to get at today. And then. Most importantly, how can we grow in loving God? So one rule of thumb for studying the scriptures is to uh, say, if we're going to figure out the text, we want to start with the context. And so I need to give you a little bit of context here uh, as we get into Mark chapter 12. We actually can go back to the end of chapter 11. And Jesus has come into Jerusalem. This is on Palm Sunday. And uh, he's created quite a stir. People are wondering, who is this guy? And what's he going to do? And there was sort of this electricity in the air. Rumors were being spread. Whispers were being whispered. You know, what's he going to do? And uh, the authorities were very uh, suspicious of Jesus, and they felt threatened by him. Uh, and so they, they come to him, and they ask four questions. Now, we're, on, we're probably on Tuesday of Holy Week, so this would be three days before he was crucified. So it's right in that time period. And they ask four questions. The first one has to do with authority. In his, where's your authority from? The second one has to do with taxes, and he answers that one brilliantly by taking out a coin and says, whose, whose image is on it? And then Caesar, and then, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God? You know that, maybe that story. And then the, th- uh, the third test, they're trying to catch him and to expose him as a fraud. Uh, and the third test was about marriage in the, in the future, in the resurrection, in the afterlife. Is there marriage in the afterlife? And depending on how he answered it, he would fall on one side or the other and would get into trouble with one group or the other. Uh, he handles that one brilliantly. And now this is the fourth, and it's, it's a question of the day. In, we know this from uh, outside the Bible, that the rabbis were always debating what's the most important commandment. Of, of all of the commandments. How do, you, how do you take them and put them into something that you can, you know, kind of like the one ring that rules them all, for those of you who know what that means, right? It, it, it's that one thing that just covers everything. And so they were debating uh, that question. Okay, there's the context. And then we come to uh, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law 
he came and heard them debating. So this is in reference to the previous conversation. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him another question, which was, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? So here's that that argument or debate of the day coming up. Now, there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And you thought you had a lot of rules in your home. So 613, uh, 365 of them were in the negative, meaning for every day of the year you had something like what? Uh, Don't do that, right? Every day. Just put it in your daily devotional. (laughs) There it is. Don't do that. And then you had 240 whatever uh, of the uh, positives. And people were trying to figure out uh, how to, again, how to put that into a, a kind of a Reader's Digest version, right? And how to sum it all up. And one group of rabbis, which I think is kind of funny, but they, the Ten Commandments are always considered at the heart of all the rules uh, in the Old Testament. I mean, it has a special place. And so some of the rabbis thought, a group of rabbis thought, that the Fifth Commandment is the one commandment that rules them all. And the fifth commandment says that you are to obey your mother and father. My theory is that these rabbis were parents with disobedient children. (laughs) I mean, why make that one the big one, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But some of you parents here today probably would agree with them. Let's go for that one. Uh, But that that wasn't where it went with Jesus. So he comes back with a response to the question in verse 29. And he says, this is the most important one. And he actually goes into uh, the most important and the one that is right next to it, which we'll go to next week. But he says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and all of your strength. So that is a quote from the Old Testament. That is out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. And every Jew uh, in, in that day, and many Jews today would do it too, but twice a day they would say that, that verse. Thou shalt... The Lord, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, with all of thy mind, with all of thy strength. Strength meaning body. So it's basically your whole being. Um, and Jesus is uh, saying that that's the verse that is the umbrella verse that covers all other, all of the other commandments. It's very simple. So it was very familiar to them. It was very simple and it's very profound, but you can miss the profundity of it because it's so familiar. They're saying it twice a day. We live uh, near, thankfully no nearer than we do, but near to a fire station. And when we first moved there, we heard a lot of sirens. And in the last year, I haven't heard any. You know, kind of, you know what I'm saying here? You don't, it's just background noise. You don't hear it anymore. If you live next to a train track, when you first move there, you hear it, but it becomes so familiar to your ears, you no longer hear the trains going by. And somebody visits you and they can hardly stand it, right? So it's, this verse was so familiar that perhaps the profundity of it uh, went over their heads. It is a summary, really, of the Ten Commandments. 
So let me, let me give you that, that view because we're going to come back to this next week. The first three commandments are clearly about loving God. Thou shalt have no other gods be, before me. Thou shalt make no idols with your hands. And thou shalt not you, you take my name in vain. Those are the first three commandments. And then the last uh, five commandments... I can't make sure I do. I mean, I shouldn't be that bad at math. It was always a struggle for me. Here I am, right in front of people. What am I going to do? Okay, I think it's actually six commandments. The last six commandments, uh, which would, which would be five through ten, which I always struggle with. Five through ten are clearly about loving people. And then you have the fourth commandment, which is a, a Janus, meaning it can go both directions. It's so. Uh, it's about the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath, it's a it's a way of loving God. And it's a way of loving people. And that's, that's how the uh, Ten Commandments hold together. What Jesus is saying is that the, the first three and a half commandments, uh, he's, he's basically condensing them down to uh, this one ring that rules them all, this one, one commandment that rules all commandments. And then the second one we'll come to next week. Um, so isn't that cool? Isn't it cool what he did? I just want you to see that. Don't you love Jesus? That's my part of my little spiel this morning. Don't you love Jesus? I mean, he's able to take the really complex things and 613 laws and just boil it down. You know, I love I love it when anybody can do that. Yeah. All right. So what does it? Let's go to the second the question there. What does it mean to love God? Uh, let's start with God because God is for many a concept and. Uh, he is personal, but for for us, uh, we, we don't have, we, we don't get to see God. It, it's a it, it's, it's a kind of platonic, abstract thing, and and um, he understands that. So he sent us a, a person. Remember, Jesus is like an icon of God. Think of a uh, if that helps you. Uh, it actually is the word that is used in in Hebrews um, chapter one. He when you see him, you basically see God. Not the same as, but basically the same as. I mean, it's, you see Jesus, that's what he said. And he said, I and the Father are one. So what, it really helps us to, not get, to get out of our minds, out of our heads, and see something concrete. Now, we have scripture to give us a composite sketch of Jesus. That's, all, that's what we get, the words off the page. That's what I was doing when I was journaling. What do I love about Jesus? And I, I write down all these things. Well, I'm basically building a composite sketch of who he is. And it really helps us out. This is why God sent Jesus to us, so we could see. And the, and the apostles are reporting on that, and they say, not just see, but touch and feel and all the rest. It's, so there's that. That helps us get started. We get, a, we get a picture of who God is through Jesus. But what about the word love? Love is a, uh, boy, talk about an elastic word that covers everything and so I can say, I just love chocolate. And then I can just say, I just love my wife. Well, you know, what's the deal here? My wife has the right to say, who do you love more? Or why am I in the, you know, and, oh, but you have no idea how much I love chocolate. You know, and you get into this hole and you have to dig yourself out. But it's an elastic word that stretches and covers a lot of things. So we have to narrow that down. And so Jesus is saying here, it's not like our culture would say, just an emotional term where we feel love. It's something that's more full-orbed. When you love somebody, you are, and we're talking about God here, but we could say in a marriage, you love them uh, with your heart and with your soul. 
and with your mind and with your body. And it's not just any one of those. It's the whole thing. And that's what it means to love passionately. It's not just this strong feeling thing. So we, we could say, I love God uh, spiritually. I love God uh, emotionally. I love God mentally. I love God physically. Any other, any other ad, uh, adverbs? Those are adverbs, right? With the L-Y on the end, right? And anything else you want to put in there? It's just the, the fact is it's your whole self. Jesus says to love God with your whole self. Now, I know about me that there, uh, every part of myself is uh, in some phase of disrepair. I know that by you're looking at me and you're thinking, no, there's no way. You're just, you can't, you can't. Yeah, I'm just joking. Yeah, I'm totally, my body is in disrepair and my mind is in disrepair and my Emotions are, and, and spiritually, I, I'm, sometimes I'm a mess. And it's so can we just get all that on the table? Am I the only one that has this problem? Yeah. So you have to go there, because if you're going to love God, you're going to, guess what, you're going to have to love him with your imperfect self. And if you wait to love God with your perfect self, you will never love God. That's the, because you're always going to be in some part, you know, some part of you is going to be messed up. So uh, with that in mind, that we have to bring our imperfect self to love God, uh, I want to go to help us figure out what does it mean to love God. I'm going to use marriage as an example. And uh, God, in the Bible, God often does that. He compares his relationship with his people, Israel, to a marriage relationship. It's very, very common. So we're on good grounds here. So let's say that um, you're in a marriage that is kind of running on fumes, that you no longer have the desires that you once had, but you're obedient and you're hanging in there. Okay? It's, it's an obedient, driven marriage. And you're, but you get to a point where you wonder if you can go on. By the way, I think this is fairly common in marriages. <laughs> so I don't think I'm ex- describing something drastic here. It, 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 in some measure or another, from all the research I, I have seen, uh, you will, there are these ebbs and flows to marriage. And this would be, depending on how long and severe it is, this, this would be one of those ebbs. And you have two options at that point when you feel like you're coming to the end of your rope. Uh, the first one in this uh, scenario would be that, and it would be a voice that would be um, cultivated and encouraged by our culture around us today, is that your true self, which is your feeling self, your feeling-driven self, not your obedient-driven self, but your feeling, is you're ignoring your true self and really, you're kind of a hypocrite because you're not lined up. And if, if, you, if, you, if you're just hanging in there for the sake of the kids or whatever, it's, you're not being authentic and you're better just to be real and get out of the marriage. And that would be one option you have. Or you could say, dig a little deeper and say, I'm going to operate out of my obedience-driven self. And I'm going to continue to live out into my wedding vows and I'm going to um, just keep grinding it out, so to speak. And 
yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel like anything is happening, but I'm going to be true to that self. That's my true self. My true self is deeper than my feeling self, in other words. And quite frankly, people like me will, will try to make that argument quite a bit. I mean, if you haven't heard me before, I really think that's the way to go. But here's the deal. I have to admit, and I want to I say this with all honesty, it's really hard to sustain that for a very, very, very long time. When there's, for whatever reason, there doesn't seem like there's any hope of the feelings ever returning. I mean, am I right? It's hard. It's just, I mean, it's like impossible hard, especially in a culture that tells you to go the other way. So isn't it, isn't it the best move we could make would be to do something that we can do to get those feelings, if there's just a little spark left, somehow to get them re, the, the fan uh, into flame. I mean, obviously, I think that, that's the best way. Hang in there with the obedience, but try to get the feelings in line. So, okay, that, we'll come back to that. But we're talking about marriage here, but I, you're going to see how it applies to God. Another scenario, real quick, would be where you, you have a person who is uh, very, very strong on the feeling side towards their spouse, but they're not... They're functioning out of a, a, maybe a mature sense of, on the, in the feeling area, but the obedient stuff, the action stuff, the responsible stuff, they're very immature. And they're just, you know, their spouse doesn't really believe their love, even though they feel love. It's not, it's not a marriage because if you, you know, why are you, like I said last week, my soul really wants to do the dishes, but my body is not cooperating. And you can only use that for so long, right? It's an immaturity. So you have these, you know, the, 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 in our imperfect self that we're called to bring to our spouse, we have these different things going on inside of us. And how do we, okay, translate that to God. It's the same. We, we might, for a person who's very feeling-centered and full of feelings towards God, they may be singing praise songs with their hands lifted up at the top of their voice, and they, they're, they're that close to heaven on Sunday, and they live like hell the rest of the week. There's no translation of that love into an obedience. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Disconnected. Or, with God, you, you go through the drudgery of um, living out his commands without any feelings to go along with it. And this, we're in that same place of bringing our, our imperfect selves back time and again to a God. And guess what? This God only, this is like a, 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 if, he had a if he had a door, it would probably, this is my view. I'm, okay. If he had a door and, he says, and it said, uh, uh, there was a sign on it, it would say, I only love imperfect people. Come on in. That's the only kind of people he loves are imperfect people. People who are a mess. Now, it would be okay if somebody said, that sounds like good news, because I'm one of those. <laughs> I'm a mess. I mean, not in every way, but in, in some ways, you know. I mean, it's, it's up and down, ebb and flow. And the only people God loves are imperfect people. And I've got to bring that imperfect self to him, to love him out of that imperfectly, but over time, if you do that over time, just like in a marriage, it's called being faithful. Just persevering with that love. It's powerful. But here's, like, we have to go, this is the last thing. I hope I've helped to, with the second one, what does it mean to love God? We love out of our imperfect self. 
how can we grow in loving God? I'm going to give you three ways. Although it's really for if, because I, I go back to where I started, and I think a great way to get some traction in your love for God would be to do that little exercise I started with. What are the things, as I read the New Testament, what are the things I just love about Jesus? It's a great little starting point. So that could help. But three other ways. One is to show up in places like this on a Sunday or whatever. I mean, I, for 2,000 years, the church has said, Sunday is the day of gathering, and you guys are here. So apparently you guys believe that, right? But and for those who aren't here, they're just the slackers, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but... The scripture gives us a warning that in Hebrews 10 that to not um, give up on meeting together uh, as some have the habit of doing. <laughs> well, I don't know who they were. Some were had the habit of not showing up to, to places like this on Sunday to worship God. And then it says that the reason it's not good is because when we come together, we um, spur each other on to love and good deeds. That's what, it, something happens in our hearts. So, little test, and I'm actually going to ask you to raise your hands, and you don't have to. I get it. Some people don't like to do that. But if you would, it would at least help me know I'm not the only one. So, well, you'll raise your hand, right? Help me out here. Okay, good. Got one guy. Now, have you ever, have you ever uh, woken up on a, a Sunday morning, and you just didn't feel like going to church, I'm describing today, I can tell, for some of you, I can tell this is not like a distant past thing. You didn't feel like going to church, and yet you went there and you sang the songs, and you heard people like Daniel and Larry talk, and your heart was um, revived. It happened to anybody? Yeah, see? Well, you're not the only one. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty common, and that's why the scriptures tell us to not give up meeting together. So that's, that's a very simple, concrete thing that we can do. Uh, secondly, it would be to focus on Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things we can focus on here, or in life in general, but if we focus on Jesus, um, he, it's an amazing thing. He is, so the, the Bible says, in First John, that we love because he first loved us. It's really important to get that. That it's not like we have to work up some kind of love for him. It's that we think about how much he loves us, and then it's a response to him. And uh, so here's a, here's a way of saying that, that Jesus is the law, ultimately the lawgiver. In other words, he's the one that defines right and wrong, ultimately. If we, I could make that case, that if you go back into the Old Testament, it's really Jesus' voice that's coming through, and that he's the one, it's, in the New Testament it says that the law and the prophets are really about loving God and loving him, and he fulfills the law and the prophets. And So at any rate, he's the one who, who tells us what's right and what's wrong, but he's also the one that forgives us when we don't do the right thing. And that is something that creates love in us. 
when we realize that we've been forgiven. So uh, Luke tells a story in chapter 7 of his gospel about a woman who was very sinful, who came and fell down at Jesus' feet and just started weeping, and she was scolded for that, and Jesus says that she has been forgiven much, and those who have been forgiven much are the ones who love the most. That's, that's what Jesus said there. So, and how much have we been forgiven? Try to calculate that. If it helps you, I, uh, last week I had the national debt figure up there, uh, 21 trillion something. Guess what? It's gone up this week. <laughs> I don't know how much, but a few billion, I guess. And that's, you can't calculate how much you've been forgiven. 70 times 7, that's just a, a small number. Um, so when you realize how much you've been forgiven by Jesus, as you focus on Jesus, uh, you realize how much you're loved. And then the third thing would be to invite Jesus, and you can do that right now, to invite Jesus. So wherever you are with Jesus, you can, if you've been walking with him for a long time or, or first time, you can invite him or re-invite him into those areas of your heart where, you know, it's not about trying harder. It's about getting him in there to do the energy stuff for you. It's about him. Paul talks about the energies of Christ in us and um, him operating out of us, inviting him in so that as we express our, ourselves, it's Jesus who, who comes out. So it's not all about trying harder, trying harder. No, it's not that at all. It's inviting Jesus in, who's the one who can do that deep work in you. Don't you just love Jesus? And let's pray. Father, as we um, submit our hearts to you, as we um, allow you uh, space to work right now. We bring our imperfect selves before you. And we say, I, if you can say these words inwardly, say them, I love you, Lord. And we do pray. Lord, that you would um, heal and unite and bring together the loose ends that are within us at this stage of our lives. Unite the, uh, our obedience and our feelings. You, you do that work, Lord, we pray. Revive us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.